bless you all. Where are your minions? Okay. Offering collected by the Levites. All right. Can you turn in your Bible with me? If you want to, turn in your neighbor's Bible. Romans chapter 8. Um, Romans chapter 8. You know, the book of Romans is the longest epistle Paul wrote. And it was probably written from Corinth, but he says so many things in this book. It's just, um, it really is a treasure trove. And when you come to the area surrounding chapter 8, there are so many amazing snippets of verses that people just find as nuggets of gold. I mean, you think about Romans 8, you know, you're going to think, for we know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those called to his purpose. You know, that's a great one. Or as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. That's a great one. And it goes on. There's a whole bunch of them. And, and I'm, I'm just to the, to, the, um, to the point of understanding that when you're reading the Word of God and you come upon nuggets, big nuggets of gold like that that are just scattered, in a particular place, it's great to go and pick those nuggets up, but we need to be grateful for that. But we need to be a little bit wiser than that, because if you were out in the wilderness somewhere and you began to find nuggets of gold, you would think, wow, I hope nobody else sees me until I get all these picked up. But there's probably a vein near there for all those nuggets to be emergent from. And that's really what you want to hit. You want to find the mother load of where those nuggets are coming from. And, and I think so often as Christians, and I grew up in the church, I'm, I'm one of them, I'm guilty. We find handfuls when we should be finding the field. We should be finding the, the path that leads to the gold where no eye has seen. And when we come here to Romans chapter 8, there's a lot of these wonderful nuggets. But to me, there's one theme, which is the mother load of all mother loads, of, of the, the gold that is our faith. And it truly has to do with who the Father is and who we are as his sons. Now, we're going into the new year. Tammy just referenced it. The first Saturday word uh, for prayer mentioned it. Others have mentioned it, but you, you don't have to have a prophetic insight to know that we're going into the year of holiness, saintliness. And um, we are, as pioneers, the saints, we usually start feeling that not just that transition, but the entry into sometime about now. And we, we as intercessors, are, are tasked before the Lord to make the way, to, to go forth and say, this is the way, walk you in it, calling that, that door open and identifying those things. And God always does that kind of thing in his word. And so um, I, I felt 
today that we needed to acknowledge that this next year is, is going to be a tremendous year in our calling as saints, that we're going to be as intercessors truly partnering with God to welcome the, the measure of his holiness or his foundational purpose that we as intercessors, as saints, are, are called to partner with God in. But today, we want to look at something that when we first were praying and God was showing us his seven spirits in the word of God, and we were putting those connections together as how, how by the directive of the spirit, the flow pattern of his ways happened. We assigned not just the spirit of holiness slash saintliness, because it's the same word, just translated um, by different terms, holy or saint. Um, but we also associated the spirit of adoption with that. You notice that. And I remember when, when I was praying about this initially, where that spirit of adoption should go. And you would think just in a just in a cursory exam, it should go with truthfulness and sonship. Because if you're adopted, you know, you're a son. It should go there. But the Lord said, no, don't put it there. Well, maybe it should go in the spirit of glory and of God, because that's where we come into the heart of God, and we're burrowed in there, and we get imprinted by his burden. And I felt, no. And again, I have to be really honest with you. With the spirit of adoption, I just interpreted it the way most of you did, that, oh, thank God, you know, we're, as the song says, you know, we're sons. We've been brought into the family, and that's great. And that, that's really the limit, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but that was the limit of my, of my grasp. So I'm thinking with that in mind, um, and I don't try to extrapolate what I'm doing with these things, it's to say what Ron thinks or what some old-timey guy that I had in school taught me, I want to make sure that when we're talking to Monica's things that the Spirit is saying it, and it is verified by the meat of the Word. So I wasn't going to try to... If God wasn't speaking, I wasn't writing. If he wasn't saying anything more about the Spirit of adoption, I wasn't going to embellish it just so it could cram in. Let's lube it up with Ron's thoughts so it'll slide in there and everybody will feel good about it. Um, so, but I knew that the Lord wanted it there, and I knew that it was, I knew that it was put in the Scripture as opposed to the spirit of bondage, which leads to corruption, and that's the framework that the Father said. The spirit of adoption is not just the identity of sonship, but it's the placement of sons in the field of battle, and so I felt. That needs to be with the saints because it's one thing to be a son and it's one thing to be in the family, but when you accept the assignment of the Lord and you are in the thick, that's, that's where you really put what the Father's given you to the test. And that's what the saints are. You need all of those. It's all part of the seven spirits, the whole flow but the spirit of adoption fit there. So over the years, we've, we've basically focused on our calling as saints. And we've 
we even call it the year of holiness, saintliness. But it's time for us to look at the, the spirit of adoption and to discern in this time frame what this really means, what it, mean, what it meant to Paul when he was writing it under the anointing of the Spirit, and why it is so imperative for us to welcome that spirit of adoption in the day in which we're living, because all of the factors that Paul was considering when he wrote this, and we're going to explore some of them, are evident all around us today in, in a more pronounced way than I can, I can ever remember seeing. Um, and so let's read Romans 8, verses 11 through 21. We could have read the whole chapter. I mean, I, I have to admit I was really, I was debating you know, I don't, I, well, no, we we don't want to stop reading there. We want to read a little bit more. And I, I could, we could have just read this whole chapter. But we're going to look at Romans 8, 11, and 21. And then we'll talk specifically about the spirit of um, um, adoption and what, what bondage, this, uh, what the spirit of bondage was for Paul. Because that's another one that's easy just to do the rubber stamp. Oh, that means I was a slave to sin till Jesus took me in. You know, that, that's about the only thing we think about the spirit of bondage. But it meant a whole lot more in the context of what Paul was saying here. Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit, that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Krasos, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with what? Our spirit, that we are the children of God. And, and really that's technon there, which means you're, you're born, you're, you, you've gained your life, you're born, and... Um, and if we are, we're born, then we are to be heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption unto the glorious liberty of the children of God. This is a mouthful. I mean, Paul is, Paul is he's all in the mother load of the gold here. And, and the essence of all of this is that we are, we have a Father in heaven and that we are 
that he did everything miraculously necessary to cause us to be sons and to begin to function from that born-again deposit of his spirit within us so that we might move with his spirit and demonstrate what it is that he is wanting sons to be on this earth. Now, there are a lot of passages in the New Testament that speak about characteristics of the sons. We, we hit a couple of them here just in this brief, um, this brief treatise. You know, verse 14 speaks about being led by the Spirit. And that's, if you're led by the Spirit, you're sons. Um, you see the creation or the creature, it's the same word. And it speaks about really the cosmos creation of God is all waiting for the manifestation of the sons, or better said, for the sons to manifest. And you, you see groanings there, but it's all focused on that partnership with the Father and the sons manifesting. And you, you see this over and over again in this passage. And it all boils down to this this eternal argument about God wanting to have a creature like you and me, who he could put his spirit in, and we could be his sons. We could function him, not, not as the angels. You know, the, the scripture says, to what are the angels did he say at any time, sit thou at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The angels were created to minister on behalf of those who are to be the heirs of salvation. Now, I, I recognize that the Bible speaks about sons of Elohim. I recognize that, that there was a, uh, uh, a created measure, and there are still many of these types of angels in the, in the, in the, in the heavens who God invests the concerns of his his heart, too. There are also the angels of Yahweh, who God invests a more particular dimension of what his plan is to them. There are other types of angels that minister in the fire of his, of his judgment. And, there, you know, we've talked about them and taught about them. And there, there's no confusion about that at all, unless you just want to enter into a rebellious measure of confusion. And, but the point, though, is that with that, in the same Old Testament, the, the Psalms say, as well as other passages, that we are Elohims. We are called to be that. We are called to demonstrate our Father in his heart. Jesus is Emmanuel, Elohim with us so that we might follow his path as doing the will and the heart of our Father. Now, all of this is, is, uh, is focused on the fact that we have a Father in heaven. And as we study what's going on with the progressives, what's going on with those that are modern-day Gnostics, and we're going to talk about that here in, in a lot more, in, in, a, in a greater degree in just a minute, where there is so much stuff out there that comes against God, first of all, that comes against God as a father, 
from gender qualifications to many other factors. And, and regardless of where you look at it from, whether it's from progressive religion or heretic religion, or whether it's the Gnostics, which takes many different forms, or whether it's political ideology, or whether it's a socialist agenda, or whatever it is. From all these forms, they all share certain characteristics, and it begins with, there is no God, and he, he, even if there is a God, he's, the, he's a maniacal being, and you're just being fooled like a bunch of buffoons. And this is all out there. It, it's, it, it's in everything we've talked about during the seminar. Those opponents to uh, what, what we as saints are. And the essence of it is, is not so much on sons, it's on the Father. <laughs> you know, who the Father is. What God wants. And we fit as sons into that plan. So, when you see this is what Paul is talking about. I want to clarify with you, and now there's no sense me teaching on Abba. We taught on that a lot. There's a book written on it. You know that. You can study it. We know what that means. It is we're calling unto God to fulfill the essential, initial things that he wants to do. Ab, first letter in the Hebrew, Abba means I want to fulfill what the Father wants. We've studied about that. But when we see this specific term, we have received... We're not functioning anymore on the spirit of bondage again to fear. But instead, we are moving in the spirit of adoption. What did that mean for Paul? And what does it mean for us today? Because it is, it is imperative that we grasp this because it is all around us. Um, I know that... Um, I pray God will help us to have ears to hear and that the Spirit would, would release an anointing to understand this today because it's, it's a crucial thing as we enter into this year of holiness, saintliness, and adoption that we understand this because we're facing it now in a way unlike any time ever. Um, so, the spirit of bondage to fear. Now, this term, bondage, was from the Greek deluo, and it was used to describe a slave in many different ways. However, for those that were of the Gnostic viewpoint, they viewed this term in a different way. And here's the way they viewed it. This was well known to Paul, and these things are being said today in so many different angles of people all around you and viewpoints. When, when this term bondage, the spirit of bondage was used for the Gnostic, this was a term they used. And it said that this says that all human beings are dependent and subordinate, conveying a debasing and a contemptible identity. And it, it said that human beings were alienated from their home in the divine light, and they found themselves in this world subject to cosmic powers. And that um, they were trapped in, in our bodies and in this world. We're prisoners, 
and we cannot set ourselves free. Now, this, that sounds kind of bizarre, but it is the framework of that progressive ideology that we spoke about during the seminar and that we see being emanated in so many teachings. All those discussions about, you know, um, the cosmic nature and all those things, those are all out of, out of um, this Gnostic viewpoint. Now, I want to say another thing about Gnostic viewpoint, because anybody who ever went to Bible college studied about how Paul was against the Gnostics. But a lot of the people who wrote about that, and I bless them, were not spirit-filled. And when they viewed Gnosticism, they viewed that from the Marcionite heresy, they viewed that as anybody that was moving in dreams and visions or in, the, in speaking in tongues or having revelation, and they, they just limited it to a perversion out of the church. And that is largely what you're going to get from any fundamental teaching on Gnosticism. But when I, I was studying about this quite a bit yesterday and on Friday, interestingly, and, and I noticed that these types of thoughts were embedded in the teachings of Plato, the teachings of Homer, the teachings of, of the Hellenistic system. They were embedded in the Ugarit systems. They were embedded in, to some degree, the ancient Egyptology. These things did not just originate when, from people who were derelict Christians. This stuff was embedded in, in uh, a lot of uh, the, the Kabbal, Judaism and, and some of the, the Jewish mystics, the, this whole thought about how that God really isn't God. Let me, I, I want to read something to you, and we're going to get back to talking about this scripture, but here's something that I, I've heard recently, and, and, but it's nothing new. I mean, for the person I've been hearing this from, they think they've stumbled onto some great truth. This stuff is thousands of years old. It's the same demonic lie that was being said during Paul's day, and he's addressing it here. Um, the Gnostics took preferred pieces of the Old Testament, combined them. They say that the world was created by a lesser being rather than the ultimate cosmic God. And if the world was currently ruled by this demonic being, um, if there was a Christ, he came to correct the flaws that the Old Testament scriptures believed regarding that flawed being. And they then said that the creator that was, was mentioned in the Old Testament was a demonic being who currently ruled the world. And the Gnostics arrived at this position holding in so many ways the sanctity of the Jewish scriptures Everything those books said was accurate, but their authors had been ignorant of the true meanings of what had been written about. And so the Gnostics believed that the Old Testament passage painted a picture of our God as, as being um, just almost an insane being. And they say that God walks in the earthly garden asking where Adam is because he didn't know. He concludes that his creation of humanity and animals was, was a mistake, decided to destroy all the people except for a single family and a few beasts. He later annihilates entire cities by raining sulfur and fire down upon them. And, and this is the viewpoint. And they said that the book of Genesis says that this God was malicious, hot-tempered, stupid, and inept. Now, that's the viewpoint, and it's permeating 
all kinds of things in the internet today. It's permeating the base of the progressive churches. It's permeating a lot of people that are just modern-day heretics. And, you know, it's nothing new. It's nothing new. It's essentially against God being the Father. Yes, the enemy wants to think. He wants you to think that God is a wicked, horrific being and that there are other beings that this malevolent God that we serve has held down and has, has tried to deceive you so that you don't step into the fullness of the light. That's the spirit of bondage. That's the spirit of this dulero, which was which for the Gnostics meant all this. That you're in this world, but there's this other reality that you don't know about. And religion and those Jewish people, and then these Christians, they're keeping you from it. It's the same stuff we hear today. And it's it's just as demonic as it ever was. And people who hear it today think they've stumbled on some holy truth that the rest of us are too idiotic to see. And it's the same, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Paul was aware of all this. He, when he studied the, the Scriptures as a, as a Pharisee, and then when he spent time in the school of Arabia with Christ, and when he was receiving the revelations that he received, and he wrote in the New Testament, he was aware of all this. So unearthing it now again to ignorant Western Christians and saying, oh, this is some great thing, here it is, it's as old as the hills. It's the same enemy who tried to spill this out. And the essence was, we hate God, we hate his plan to be a father to creatures like you and me, we hate the whole privilege of sonship, so instead we will say that God is a malevolent God, religion is intent to keep you from knowing the truth, that this, this whole framework of what we know in the Bible is wrong or twisted in some way. That's the essence of the spirit of bondage. And when Paul says it is uh, with fear, this was a theme. Yes, it's phobos, but when it was used in the context of Gnosticism, <clears throat> it spoke about a lot of spiritual warfare. And it spoke about how these lesser beings are always at warfare with this malevolent God. And that, that if, you don't, if you don't get in line with the viewpoint of these other beings, that you're somehow going to just, uh, you're going to be destroyed. And so you need to keep that measure of fear so that you don't get duped like the rest of these Christians. See, this is the same, this is, the, this is what Paul was writing about. This phrase was what he was writing about. And this phrase is what we see today in so many avenues coming against what you and I know God has called us to be as saints and as sons. So what was the spirit of adoption? Oh, well, let's talk further about this, though. Later on in verse 21, which we read, it says that the creature itself also will be delivered from the bondage, there's that same word, the spirit of bondage, uh, 
of corruption. And you can either be in that or in the glorious liberty of the children of God. Corruption in this framework of that ancient heresy meant that this person or individuals could be guided into something of destruction, like evil herdsmen. You know, like if you had some, some wicked person you entrusted your herd to, that this, these people would guide them into some measure of wickedness. That it would be as travelers wandering off course, as prisoners petitioning for release while they are enslaved in a dungeon. Uh, subverting laws to destroy the state of things. If, if there is uh, corruption, we see this in society today. You know, we don't like the laws, so, so we'll just change them, break them, and we will set up a new society. Um, this was uh, this was a common word that people use. You know, like sometimes you forgive me for saying this. I'm I'm just repeating. Sometimes you hear people who curse and you say, "You just you go to hell." Or you, you go to the devil. People say that. Well, this word was used back in those days as a curse, where people would say, you go to corruption, which would cause you to be led into this pathway. These were all Gnostic terms. These were like curses for anybody who didn't want to follow in this heresy. So they would say, you're, you're going to be led astray. You're going to have damnation. You're going to wander off course. You're going to be in prison without any hope of freedom. You're going to be, everything you hold dear is going to be destroyed. Um, you're, you're going to be being led by a malevolent force. And so, and Paul knew this when he wrote this. His whole theme of being sons and walking to redeem creation and all of the things that he's mentioning here are what the Father wants from us, but it's set in the, in the, not in the backdrop, but directly opposed to this other strategy that was always a demonic strategy, the hath God said strategy. And, and it's, it's very, it's very, very clear here. So, when we talk about the spirit of adoption as opposed to the spirit of bondage with fear, Paul was really saying, you've got all this corrupt view here. And boy, was it corrupt. It, it didn't just emerge in year 200 or 300 AD. This has been a, an ongoing stratagem of the enemy for as long as mankind lives. You know, I've been studying some things. I still haven't taught on it, basically because it, I just feel I need to wait. I was going to teach on it during the seminar, but I'll just be honest with you. When I study this stuff, it makes me angry. And you should never teach when you're more driven by anger as opposed to being driven. It's like when Michael would not contest with Satan over the body of Moses, rather said, the Lord rebuke you. I want to make sure that when, when I speak from a pneumaticos perspective, it's not tinged with a lot of <laughs> disgust in me. But, you know, the, the, strange, the strange thing is that um, 
people discovered what they say are the Ugaritic texts in the, in the 20s, in the 1920s. And there's a lot of even Christian literature out now that says this completes the picture of the Old Testament. And so we can interpret what the Old Testament is saying by these Ugaritic texts. The problem with that is that the people who wrote the, the Ugarites, the people who wrote these things, were, were just saturated with this false doctrine. They weren't serving God. They were to, it would be like saying, okay, um, we, I don't know what you read. Let's say, let's say you are a correspondent and you're in Afghanistan and you're writing what actually happened. And so you write it, but you don't write about every little detail. You just write what happens. Then you come back and you you turn on, uh, let's say 100 years from now, somebody pulls up from um, the left, a left-leading media source, and they're talking about what happened in Afghanistan. And so somebody says, well, this, we, have the, we have the report that Arles Terrell made when he was a correspondent in Kabul. But now we have this other insight, and it provides a bigger picture. It completes the picture of what Les didn't say. Well, no, it doesn't. It's telling a bunch of nonsense. It's telling a bunch, this other stuff that's just been discovered was from people who had another ideology and were seeing the thing from a twisted way. You can't believe what they're saying. It doesn't complete the story that Les supposedly wrote when he was a correspondent. When was it that you were over there? Anyway, but to say that the Ugarites are completing the Scripture is nonsense. Those people were serving Baal. When you, if you just look a little bit further, you can see that they said the God of the Hebrews was only the God of the valley and of battles. If you really wanted to be blessed, you needed to serve Baal or Beelzebub because he was the one that could bring the rain. And this is the Ugarites. So I don't really, I don't give really, oh, I almost said something I shouldn't say. I don't really care what they say. I think it's interesting from an intellectual point, but it doesn't complete anything for me. We have the Word of God. We know what the Word of God says. I don't need a demonic viewpoint to complete the picture. I don't need that. But guess what? There's a lot of doctrine that is being built right now and being taught in Christian Pentecostal schools that is inundated with the things that, that, are, that are from the viewpoint of devils. You go to warfare in the spirit realm with that kind of nonsense? Let's say we went to war with China, but I don't want that to happen. But China basically developed our defense strategies, and, and our, our, uh, all of our Huawei did all of our electronics. How far do you think we'd get in that battle? So, so many students today are being taught this state-of-the-art understanding of the spirit realm that is basically put together on hybrid Ugaritic text that comes from this very stuff. How far do you think they're going to get in spiritual warfare if they're believing the nonsense that's been being spewed by the demonic. So Paul, the apostle, knew exactly what he was writing. He's talking about the stuff that we're seeing all around us today. And, and he's saying, 
the essence of this is that you have received the spirit of adoption. So what is that? Well, when you look at it, you see that um, in the ancient Greek culture, if there was someone who needed, who had no, who had no, no offspring, someone that they could entrust their business to, or if there are many factors in this, <clears throat> that person would go into the marketplace with an individual that they had chosen, and they obviously knew who this person was, and they trusted them, and they, they were willing to partner with them and divest their authority too. And they would make a public statement stating, this is my son. This is my son. And it was, it was public. It wasn't just some little scroll that they wrote. It was a statement of sonship. And, you know, this is what God did. But the essence is not, is not just on sonship. It's, it's on the Father, the one who's making this statement, which is the essence of all this warfare anyway, because the enemy was a man. The enemy detested God's plan from the very beginning. He hates God. I will be like him, but I hate him. I detest him. And that's what, this whole plan of sonship is just something I'm going to attack and try to pervert. But at, 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 I'm against, the enemy would say, the one who's making this statement about sons. So this spirit of adoption, the whole framework that empowered it, the one who was making the statement, was the father. That's the one that the enemy detests. So the father is making this statement about I'm, I'm gonna, my spirit is going to commune with the spirit within you because of Jesus. And you know, the Father did this very thing when Jesus was baptized. When he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, not everybody heard it. Some said it was thunder. Can you imagine those guys? Did you hear what these people are saying over here that they heard God say this was the Son. I didn't hear that. Did you hear that? No, I just heard thunder. See how crazy those people are? You ever had anybody do that with you? Yeah, I know you said God said that. I was there. I didn't hear it. Well, anyway, but the essence of this, of this adoption began with the one who was the father, the one who was the owner, the one who was the person of property and authority and power. Without him or her, that would, that there would be no adoption. That's the essence. And so God stands in this great measure of the spirit realm where the enemy is promulgating all of these lies and all this mistruth, and he says, I am investing myself into this one, into this one, into this one. And in, as opposed to being in this dualistic, Gnostic nonsense, I am going to give to them something that will shake the world. And because they're sons, my spirit is going to lead their spirit. And because they're sons, the creation, all of creation, is going to begin to groan and travail. This is what it says right here. And, and where they go, creation is going to manifest itself. And rise up and be what I wanted them want, want created it to be. This is the essence. But 
we see this spirit of bondage with fear, which is the same Gnostic nonsense that you see flowing in so many places all around us. And I think in every power base around us, this is trying to gain control. It is the spirit of Antichrist. It is the spirit where the false prophet will move. It is the spirit of the beast. All of these fallen influences. And I still call them demons and fallen ones because that's what they are. They aren't a bunch of little gods that the malevolent God is holding down. God created them all. They rebelled. They're the ones that are putting out this doctrines of devils. So I'm not buying it, and neither should you, because God has given us the spirit of adoption. He is saying in all of the realm, these are my children. These are the ones who will serve. Now, if you were to look at, and I'm not asking you to do it right now, but 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 it speaks about how that we are motivated by the agape of God if we're sons. And it says anybody who hears this and wants to participate in it, you need to make sure, and there's a double issuance of hagios, you need to make sure that you commit yourself as saints. You need to make sure that you're walking as saints if you're going to function in my agape as sons. And that's why this term, I believe, in, in the seven spirits progression is, was, was linked. And I think the reason God's saying, okay, focus on it more now, is because we're in this battle. <laughs> it's all around us. It, and it, you know what? It's gaining steam. I mean, it's, ah, yeah, yeah. We used to say that the saints were a remnant because they're coming out from the general church, still part of the general church, but just a, a fraction of people that are actually doing this work. But I, I want you to know that the remnant is, is even more so part of in the spirit realm. You've got all these players in the spirit realm. You've got all these demons that are doing things and gathering people to follow them. And the, the the true saints are even more of a remnant but that's a, that's okay you know we're not we're not in any problem we're right where god wants us to be but as we're entering in to this um, to this measure of this year of saints we we ask for the spirit of adoption to demonstrate itself in ways of God's choosing within us, through us, in the year to come. Yeah, we're going head-to-head -head with the spirit of bondage. We're going head-to-head -head with the corruption that is there. And I speak over all of you that none of you will be subject to evil herdsmen in any way. That your businesses, that who you are, will not be led down a pathway of destruction. I speak that none of you will wander off course. And boy, that's a big statement. Gee whiz. Help us, Father. Because this enemy force wants that. It is a spirit. 
It is a, this is what the scripture says, it is a spiritual influence. This is the battle of the influences. Whether we're moving as sons through the spirit of God, or we're, we're moving in the spirit of this age through the spirit of the demonic. So I break any kind of assignment there in that corruption. I speak that you will not be bound by anything that will try to create a hopelessness in you. I speak that you will, you will be secured and that there will not be wicked laws that will come to try to um, permeate your life and, and enslave you in any way. Some of you need that right now. But we proclaim that because this is part of that corruption curse that flows out of the spirit of bondage. I, I speak that, um, that there will be no curses that will find their way successfully against you. That every measure that would come against you, you would in turn have blessing. Now, see, here's a problem. I didn't intend to go there, but I still have a little bit of time. Some people say, well, how could curses affect Christians? We're not under the curse, brother, I'm telling you. Well, here's how. You've got to watch the vulnerable areas of your life. You know, if, I don't like getting out in little boats. Just never did. Some of you do. But if, if you've got a crack in your boat, don't get out in the water. Even if you've had that fancy tape you can put down. You ever see those commercials? It's goofy. If you've got some measure of iniquity that you openly stroke, if the enemy is launching some kind of an attack against you, it's going to attack that. It's not that he's going to overcome God. It's that you've got a, you've got a chink in your armor that you fail to, to bind up. It, it's kind of like, you know... Um, it's just common sense. Don't make yourself a target. Does that make sense? I mean, if, if you, if, if I got outside and walked out in the middle of the road and a car hit me, that's not because a curse came against me. That's because I was an idiot enough not to look when I went out in the road. And the enemy will see those areas that you play fast and loose with and we'll see those areas that you're an easy mark in, and boy, we all have them. And he'll be on that like flies on a hot dog at the state fair. Watch yourself. And it's just the truth. So I, I come against that strategy that would try to take any saint down. Now, there was another, there was another factor with this corruption, and it was... It was used by the Gnostics somehow, and I don't really want to get into too much of it because I don't understand all of it, but there was, and I don't really want to, there was something to do with a garment that they used in some sacrifices that if, if there was blood that came upon the garment, that, um, that, was a, uh, that, that, that ruined the fabric, but it also empowered them. And I was wondering about the scriptures that says every garment of the warrior is rolled in blood. And we taught about that, how that 
when you come through a successful battle, you need to submit those garments to the Lord for a, a sacrifice to Him, and then He cleanses you and puts new garment on you. We were talking about that yesterday and first Saturday. And I was wondering about that being during the time of transition where the enemy may be trying to do something through an illegal shedding of blood or, or, or whatever that would try to come against your transition. And I break that. You are, you, we've been talking about transition for a couple of years now. Guess what? We're in transition. We're moving into the new. And so all of these factors... When, when the Scripture uses this term corruption and you put it into the flow of what Paul was really talking about, you see that he's saying, you've got the demonic forces over here. Some of you were, you were helpless in that flow, but then God called you to be a son, which these things are directly opposed to. So walk in that. Be led by the Spirit. Move as peacemakers partnering with the Father. Move as saints. If you don't take that seriously, you're going to go into this pathway of corruption. You're going to be led astray. You're going to be destroyed in your harvest. You're going to be as a prisoner that is bound. You're going to continually be uh, cursed because you're going to make mistakes and make yourself vulnerable. I don't want any of that. Do you? I don't want that. But that's what the world is hurtling toward. That's what modern religion is going. They're openly stating it. They're writing books about it. People then are partnering up with demonic shamans in various parts of the world. And there are, there are ceremonies where they lay hands on people and they, they say they feel the electric shock of the spirit. It stirs something up within their belly. I mean, these are things that are happening all around you. It's perverted sonship. It's, it's anti-Christ. It's anti-sons who are anointed to do the will of the Father. And it's all around us. I'm not worried about it. The Apostle Paul wrote about it. This was no new thing to him. And you know, I know that Gnosticism really gained its, its steam and a lot of the books you might read about it in Christendom. I'm almost done. Um, a lot of the books that you read about it, they'll state that it was in 200 A.D. or 250 A.D. and the different Nicene councils and others stood up against it. And, you know, they when they were bringing forth the canon of Scripture, there were a lot of false things like the secret the secret letter of John or the Gospel of Thomas or all these crazy writings were out and passing in, in the name of the, of the disciples. And, you know, those councils said, you know, these things aren't scriptural. Well, guess what? There are people today in these progressive moves and in others that are finding those letters and saying, oh, this is equal to the Word of God. Here it is. That malevolent God has tried to keep you from knowing these truths. You know, the Da Vinci Code tapped onto some of that. They said, they, out of these letters, they're saying that Jesus had a love child with Mary, and when he was crucified, when he said, you know, behold your mother, that he was really talking more than just take care of her. They, they were saying, okay, you're part of the family now because you're bearing my child, so here's your mother. And they wandered off to France, and they had this child. You, you've maybe seen, read the book, or know that the movie was out there. That's all Gnostic baloney. 
I mean, but, but that's not where Gnosticism began. Paul was talking about it here, and he was talking about what had gone on for hundreds and hundreds of years, the continuing attempt to pervert God's plan for man. And now it is here today. You know, sometimes people send me videos, and there's some guy that came out of the church, and he's really skilled in the ancient scriptures, and he's telling all these things that we as Christians are too dumb to know. And here it is. It's all through the internet. I mean, and it's slick. Some of it, boy, the graphics, it's great. But it's still a bucket of bilge water. It's still demonic slop. It's just as much as it was when Paul the Apostle was addressing it. And here he's speaking about it. So what do we do? We receive the spirit of adoption and we cry, Abba, Father. I mean, we, we cry as Jesus did in Gethsemane. Let your will be done, Abba. I want to fulfill what you want. I am your son, and I am, I am wanting to fulfill what you have proclaimed in the spirit realm that I am. I'm not going to surrender it for a pathway of corruption. I'm not going to surrender it for any kind of ideology that, that comes against you and your plan. And it's so crafty. It's so twisted. It's so anointed. It really is. I mean, this is... We used to warn people about, about listening to those that were in bitterness because it's like a poison. And it's like the, John wrote, he said, you stay away from those because they'll take you out. I won't sit in the seat of the scorner. We used to talk about that. Well, guess what? This is this stuff in the, the world today is highly deceptive. I mean, it, to say that is an understatement. It is highly deceptive. Once people start drinking of this, I, I know God can free them, but it's, it's, it's wicked. Forget about a vaccination shot and whether it's going to program you or track you or the great whatever, and I'm not talking about that today. This stuff will destroy you. This stuff will destroy eternally. And Paul's talking about it here. Right in the middle of this glorious this glorious Romans chapter 8. So with Paul making this the gem of the entire thing, the mother load, the thing that we need to dig deep into to be sons, you need to interpret that one. How many scriptures have people interpreted? I'm sure that little box of scripture cards my mom had on the table that we would just yank one out. There's probably 30 cards devoted to what's written in Romans 7 through 10. For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What context is that verse really speaking of? This right here. This, this what we've talked about today is the context. You know, you follow the Lord. He's going to take care of you. You seek the Father. He's going to take care of you. You stay true to him and to his word. He's going to take care of you. Yeah, the enemy will take his shots. Yeah, the enemy will try to do things. But God will work all things for the good because you're moving in his love.
because you're called and you've accepted that calling. So that's why the saints are inextricably linked with this because the saints in the, in the diagram of the seven spirits, that light blue dimension, are those that are, yes, they're sons. Yes, they have been imprinted by the glory of God. But the saints are in the thick of the battle, which is why in the Old Testament, remember that term meant somebody that was in the cleft of the rock, somebody that was in the middle, somebody that was there with the Lord as he was moving by. You're covered by his hand. You, you are in battle. You, you are the people, the sons in battle. So, as we now are in October and we're moving in those early days of what God is doing in the world today, yes, we are called to be saints. Yes, we are the chosen ones. But yes, we are also, by virtue of the spirit of adoption, crying, Abba, Father, we are posed right now in a time where the enemy is bringing this spirit of bondage with fear and corruption, and that's what we're facing. That aggressive tactic that is coming in so many forms of religion today, is coming in so many forms of government today, that is coming in so many forms of different socialist movements in our government today. It's attacking everything that you hold dear. It's attacking the essence of who the Father is in you. That's the spirit of bondage with corruption and fear. You're seeing it all around you. But take heart. All things work together for good to you. Creation is waiting for you to manifest what it means to be a son and hence the spirit of adoption where the Father stood in the spirit realm and said, these are my sons. I'm initiating this spirit of sonship. I am saying that they're representing me. I wish we could have heard that. We did hear it over Jesus. We did read of it in, in the book of Revelation. But somehow when the Father spoke that out over you and me, I'm sure it rocked the gates of hell. I, I, I'm sure that it, it still echoes today. The question is, do we hear it? Do, do we hear it? Do we recognize what's at stake? You never notice? It, it, you know, it gets pretty bad when the general church is even being attacked. It shows you how far along the battle is. The enemy's never like you as saints. But now, you know, anybody that's an evangelical, anybody who believes the Bible, anybody that goes to church, anybody that you are all just horrible people. You're worse terrorists than anything that uh, uh, AK-47 toting uh, Islamic warriors are. Did you notice this? Did you ever think you'd hear that? It tells you how close we are. It's, it's all part of this. It's, it's, it's all part of this. <laughs> so we should take heart. 
because uh, God's been training you for a long time. He put you in this time frame to serve. He's shown you specific things, and we just need to be that. So the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. We're the children of God. We're to be moving as heirs and joint heirs. We are, we are to be crying out, Kradzo, Abba, Father. We're to be recognizing that creation is going to move. We've seen that over and over again in smaller ways. Hence, change of atmosphere, thunderstorms, breaking droughts, trees, ex- massive trees exploding and falling in front. We've seen those kinds of things on many, many occasions. We're going to see more than that because that's what the Bible says. I mean, that's what it says. But it's not just the natural manifestation. It's what it means in the spirit realm. And I, I just simply want to encourage you today. And we, we are truly now, this month of October, and I, I speak protection and safety over every one of you. And the enemy who says he owns this month, This is not going to be a month of death and destruction or accidents for any one of us. We are walking in the divine light and favor of the Lord. We're making breakthroughs. We are striding forward in points of prophetic obedience. We're establishing things during this month that that the Father is, is going to use to promulgate the gospel throughout the world. I don't know what those things are, but we're declaring it. But the point is, this isn't going to be a month of sickness. It's not going to be a month of of accidents. It's not going to be a month of destruction. It has been in the past. It's been a a month of murders against people in this place years ago. You remember those days? Well, we break that. We have broken it. It's not going to reinsert itself. We're walking in blessing because we're the children of the Most High God. Amen? This is a month of going forward. So again, and I end with this, I declare the calling of being sons and saints over this house. I declare the calling of the spirit of adoption. And I state that we are triumphant through him who loves us. And all of this heresy, all of this, all of this doctrinal malfeasance that the enemy is trying to sow in every corner of the world, it, it will not triumph over us. Those things that the enemy is trying to sow have always tried to stop the pure and the true. It will not, it has not, and it shall not. We are more than conquerors through the Lord. So we're, going, we're in it now. We're, we're going forward into this year. Holiness, saintliness, and adoption. And you need to remember that your Father has spoken in the public marketplace of the spirit realm that you are his sons. You are his sons. Don't forget that. The enemy doesn't like it. He hates the Father. He hates you. But God loves you. Amen? Father, thank you. Thank you that I can speak this kind of a message in this congregation. (laughs) I thank you for them, Father. I thank you for our saints' family. And I pray that we will be everything we're supposed to be for you in this year that we're entering into. We love you. I bless this people. I bless the saints. And I bless your work. But mostly, Father, we thank you. We bless you. 
This is your plan. We're your sons. We love you and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. God bless you all. Uh, We will see you soon.